The Limits of Torture. Today, Wednesday, December 10th, this is The World. I'm Marco Werman. A former Army interrogator tells me he feels no remorse for methods he used to try to extract information from Iraqis. I feel that in what I did, I was working within the guidelines um, and within my conscience. I never harmed anybody. I never threatened anybody. That's not what we've been hearing about the CIA's methods. Even so, some feel enhanced interrogation isn't all bad. My own feeling is that sometimes uh, the use of coercive methods does and did produce very useful information. And later, Grand Theft Auto meets the Iranian Revolution. Whatever you find appealing and sexy about being a gangster, rolling in the streets of L.A., you're going to find exactly in a game about the revolution. Support for PRI's The World comes from TIAA CREF, a financial services company helping to create financial outcomes that matter. Learn more at TIAA.org. I'm Marco Werman, and you're tuned to The World. Dotted all throughout the program today, we've got our safe mode coverage, hashtag safe mode, about what the intersection of security and technology feels like for a new generation. Later on the world, we'll hear about changes in attitudes and across latitudes after Edward Snowden's revelations. But our starting point today is still that scathing Senate report on the CIA's torture program. The technology of torture is not terribly sophisticated, and the security it provides is still in question. Right now, I want you to hear my conversation with a former Army interrogator about what actually goes on in a lot of interrogation rooms. He's asked us to use only his first name, Andrew. He was deployed to Iraq in 2009 and 2010. Andrew describes to me what it was like for the typical Iraqi insurgent who was brought into his interrogation room. They're rolled up sometime in the middle of the night. They're taken from their bed on authority from a warrant from an Iraqi judge. And then they're brought into our facility where they get a thorough medical screening to make sure that, you know, they're, they're medically sound. And then after that, they go through a screening process. So they start talking to us where we just get, you know, general information about, you know, who they are, where they're from. And then that's when we go into the circumstances of their capture and begin the intelligence collection process. I'm just wondering if you can illustrate all of that with one example that you experienced. We had a gentleman, a, a higher level detainee. At that point in time, having seen numbers of his organization that were also higher ranking disappear, he knew exactly why he was there. But there's always that level of resistance where, where they, they're, they're not really willing to talk yet. A lot of times these organizations would tell their, their members that they were going to be tortured. And they, are we talking insurgent organizations that we might have heard of here? Correct. Yeah. One of the great things about the changes that have been made is that we use techniques that manipulate people, but we don't physically or psychologically harm them. And having brought that detainee in and, you know, talking about his family life and talking about the repercussions of their actions and, and offering them kindness, they see that this isn't the big, bad American facade that they're led to believe it changes their perspective and almost turns their their mindset against their organization thinking why would they lie to me and then they're more willing to actually share secrets with us were there ever any times where uh, the threat of force was used a uh, defined threat of force slapping somebody waterboarding them oh no that was clearly for all intents and purposes illegal 
we did have to make sure that we were in accordance with the Geneva Conventions. Geneva's Conventions notifications were actually posted inside the, um, the cells of the detainees. Our interrogations were closely monitored. They were recorded. There were cameras in the booth. You may be in someone's face. You may throw a chair or, or flip a table, and there's yelling and screaming, but drawing the line where we don't use physical violence is, is typically where it, where it stops. How crucial, though, is the threat of force? I mean, you said many detainees expected you to use force. A threat of force wouldn't have been effective. When, when you have someone that's in that state of disorientation and agitation because, you know, they've been ripped from their home in front of their children and wives um, in the middle of the night, building those relationships was more pivotal than threats. Finally, Andrew, I'm just curious, how did pop culture depictions of torture like we saw in the show 24, how'd that come into or contrast with what you saw? In Iraq, they have a, a very prevalent uh, like bootleg DVD culture. And I actually came across a detainee once that was...